Hey, I'm Kyle, and thanks for checking out this message today. We are glad you're here, and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way you can do that is you can text River Connect one word to 97,000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and the upcoming events that we have going on. And lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text that amount to 84321, or again, you can check our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. We just want to say thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Bibles, go ahead and open them to Colossians, the book of Colossians. You'll find it in the New Testament just after Philippians. Uh, we are starting our new series uh, over the next four or five weeks. We're going to be walking through why we do what we do as the church reach, gather, and grow. This is a, a statement. We see it as you walk in. You'll see this is our vision as a church. Uh, what, what we do as a church is focused around these three words. It comes from Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. If you've ever been a part of church uh, and you've heard a message on the Great Commission, you know that that passage says this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's where we get the word reach from. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is where we get the word gather from. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is where we get the aspect of grow. And we believe this is the commission that God has entrusted his people, the church. And when we talk about the church, we're not talking about an organization. We're talking about individuals, people, me and you. This is what God has asked us to go do, and what, what the, the commission, our mission as believers is, is to go into the world, reach the lost, gather together with the saints. That's where we get this baptism. We celebrate what God has done in our lives, the changing effect of, God, of the gospel in our life. We gather together and celebrate that. We sing praises, worshiping God. That's gather, and we are growing in his word. We're constantly in his word as individuals. And as a group and as a community, we open his word and we rely on this as our roadmap to life. And so this is what we're going to be walking through and we're going to be doing it through the book of Colossians. See, Jesus gave us that commandment in Matthew, but Paul speaks about it and many of the other apostles spoke about this aspect of what it is we're supposed to do as believers. And as I was preparing for this series and I was thinking about how to really connect some dots for us, the book of Colossians is really fairly new believers. And the illustration of the gym membership came to mind. Now, now listen, I don't have a gym membership, obviously, right? I need to get in the gym. I know this. That's all right. Uh, but there was a time in my life when I was younger, and I did go to get a gym membership. And, and I can remember very clearly, you know, you walk in, you sign the paper, you pay the fee, you walk into this room that has all kinds of equipment. Now, the free weights, I knew how to handle those, right? Like, it's pretty basic. You grab a weight, put it on a bar, put it on the bench, do bench press. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. Or grab a dumbbell, you know, you're doing the arm curls. But they have new equipment now. I don't know if you've ever been to a gym recently, but they have all kinds of levers and pulleys. And, man, they have different handles for different types of equipment. Like, some of them look like you're going on a jet ski or something. Some of them have ropes, and you're supposed to do certain muscle pulls. 
Some of them have bars, and that, that all that changes what you're doing. Some stuff's for your leg. Man, I go to this machine. I have no clue how to actually use it. <laughs> Anybody been there? There's a lot of correlation to being a new believer in, in God's word and as a follower of Christ to gym membership. You see, you walk and you open God's word, and there's a whole bunch of stuff to work on, right? You start reading through God's word, and you're like, man, Man, there's so much to do. I don't even know where to start. You can walk into a gym and feel the same way. I don't even know which muscle or what I'm supposed to do or where I'm supposed to start. You can walk in and feel very overwhelmed and intimidated. The other aspect of the gym that I found very threatening, if you will, or somewhat overwhelming was when you walk in, it seems like everybody else is super buff. You're the only one in there with a dad bod. It's true, you walk in and it seems like everybody else knows how to use the equipment, they're they are fit and trim, and you're like, man, how in the world do I even get there? Being a new Christian can sometimes feel the exact same way. You walk in, everybody seems to know how to behave and how to act in a church. They, they are, seem to be in the Word every day, they're praying all the time, doing what they're supposed to, and man, you walk in as a new believer and you're like, man, these guys are super Christians, I don't even know how to compare or how to fit in. Ever feel that way as a, a Christian sometimes? You're like, man, I'm way out of my league. Paul is kind of walking through in the book of Colossians this aspect for new believers. And he's not just talking to just new believers. There are believers that have been a part of the faith for a long time that have been taught the wrong way. Paul is going to deal with aestheticism. We'll get into that later in the weeks to come as a false teaching. And so sometimes even as new believers or as, as believers that have been a part of the faith for a long time, we've been given wrong direction. And Paul is really, in this book, in this book of Colossians, he's trying to focus the believers, whatever time long or however long they've been a believer, whether they're new or they've been uh, misguided Christians for a while, he's trying to point them to a very simple truth. And that truth is spiritual wisdom, understanding God's purpose for their life. The spiritual wisdom that he's going to teach and walk us through in this book is very important for new believers, but especially for mature believers to understand and not forget, hey, this is what we're all about. This is why we go through as a church two times a year, reach, gather, and grow. It's critical. It's our vision. It's our purpose. It's why we do what we do as the church. Paul's goal is he's going to walk us through to point us to spiritual wisdom, and he's then Gonna, that understanding that spiritual wisdom is going to lead us to help us better understand and know what pleases God. That's his point. That's his purpose. Hey, listen, new believer, don't get overwhelmed by all the stuff. I'm going to walk you through what's going to be pleasing to God in your life. It's going to be important. And by, by doing what pleases God, by walking in the things that, that, that are instructed for us in his word, Paul is going to show us how we can bear much fruit. And that by, by bearing much fruit, not only do we increase in, in spreading the word, but we increase in knowing who God is in our life. It draws our relationship with God closer. So let's go, and we're going to be reading in Colossians chapter 1. I really only have one text for you today. I know that's not the norm. But we're just going to stay in Colossians 1. Paul lays out some fundamental, powerful truths for us as mature believers. And if you're a new believer, he'll lay down some important truths for you and how we are to walk, and how we are to behave. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the text. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that you would be with me. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be, empower me to speak your words. Lord, remove me as a person. 
I'm nothing important. Lord, I pray that your word would be clearly spoken, that those who need to hear this message would hear it and would respond to it, Lord. Lord, we want you present in this room. We desire your spirit to move us and guide us. Lord, as we open your word and as we read what Paul has laid out for us, I pray that we would respond to it and not just be hearers of the word, but doers. I ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. We're going to begin in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 1. The first eight verses of Colossians is really an introductory of the book. Paul's saying who the author of this letter is, to whom he's writing it, and what he's heard about some of the believers in Colossae. So let's begin in in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. This is who's writing this letter. It could be that Timothy helped Paul transcribe it, or he could be the one that's delivering it. In verse 2, the saints, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. This is who he's writing to. He's writing to the church, to the saints, new Christians, as well as faithful brothers, the mature, those who have may, may had their faith for a while. So this tells us very clearly who this is intended for. It's intended for the believers in the church. As he continues, he says this, grace to you. And peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Circle that word, when we pray for you. You're going to see this as a common theme throughout the entire book of Colossians. The aspect of prayer in a believer's life. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints... Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth. The gospel. What Paul is saying here as he's talking about these saints. He says you have heard the gospel. You know what the gospel is. You've heard it and you have responded to it. And he continues in verse 6. Which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit. And increasing As it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. See, what Paul's saying here to this church is he's saying, and Paul didn't start the church of Colossae. I want you to understand this. Paul probably never met many of the people here as he's writing the letter. These are people that have never been face to face with Paul. We see this written later in the the same book. This was started by a man named Epaphras, I think it is, and we'll read that in a few minutes in this first chapter. He identifies him. And so Paul is saying to these people, hey, I've heard the effect of the gospel in your city. It's bearing fruit. It's increasing. You, you are seeing the effect of the gospel in your community, in your families, in your workplace. And, and so Paul is writing this. He's saying, hey, the gospel is doing what it's supposed to do in your city, and I am excited about it, and I am praying for you. As he continues in verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, this is the one who started the church in Colossae. He says about Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is in fact a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. He has made known to us your love in the spirit. This is all introductory. So Paul is writing and say, hey man, I know you guys may not know me. And I don't know each and every one of you, but I've heard the effect of the gospel in your city. 
I've heard of the effect of the gospel in your community. I've heard these good things about you. I know the power of the gospel. It's bearing fruit and you're increasing. He's talking to fairly new believers. And as he continues, and I love this in verse 9, he says this, And so, from the day we heard, from the day that Paul heard what was happening in this city, in this community, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I love that Paul puts this in here. This is a huge part of a new believer and a mature believer's life, and that's their prayer life. Paul says, hey, listen, as soon as I started to hear the gospel being fruitful in your life, in your community, where you're at, I have not stopped praying for you. Listen, we need a church of mature believers who are praying for other believers. We need that. Paul is the, man, Paul's the most mature Christian I know, right? Like, he is solid in the faith. And what does he say? He says, hey man, I haven't even stopped. I heard this work is happening. New believers are coming to know who Christ is. I have not stopped praying for you. We need this in our church. If you're a new Christian, listen, your prayer life is going to be the most important thing you have in your life. Along with God's word. You need that prayer life. Mature Christian, maybe you have forgotten this exercise in your life. You maybe gone to the gym, you understood the prayer was important, but then you put that machine aside and you need to exercise or come back to the exercise machine and get into your prayer life again. I don't care if you've been a believer for 50 years. If you don't have a prayer life, you're lacking a very important muscle, if you will, as a spiritual person. Paul, I love how he says this, hey, we, we've been praying for you. We need that in our church, mature believers, to come alongside new Christians and say, hey, man, I'm praying for you. I don't necessarily have all the answers, but I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to pray that the Lord shows you what you need to know. And Paul says the same thing as he's walking through this text, as he's telling this, uh, this new church, if you will, hey, I'm praying for you. And what specifically is he praying for? We see this laid out in the text there as we walk into verse 10. Actually, let's go back to verse 9. He says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. The knowledge of his will. Paul is praying that the believers, whether they've been new, whether they're mature, would understand what God's will is for their life. This is his desire. I'm praying that they would be filled with the understanding of the will of God in their life. How many of you want to know what God's purpose for you in your life is? Man, I know I do. Right? Like, this is important. As I was preparing for this, I think of the example of Philip in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. You can go back and read it if you'd like. It's an incredible story. Philip is at his house, and he's doing what Paul tells us and teaches us with example. He's praying. He's on the rooftop, and he's praying. And the angel of the Lord comes to Philip, and he's like, hey, Philip, I need you to go somewhere for me. So Philip, imagine Philip on his house, it's comfortable, he's got his food, it's nice living. I don't exactly know what kind of house he was in, it may not have been nice living, I'm just going to assume it was nice. And he's praying on his rooftop with the Lord, and an angel of the Lord says, hey, I need you to go over there, south of Jerusalem. It's a desert place, is what's written in scripture. And here's Philip, and man, I imagine Philip going, okay, all right, awesome, I'm on my way, Lord, I'm going. I'm here in the desert, Lord, okay, what do you want me to do? Man, and if it's me, 
mature Christian, if it's one of you, maybe you can relate to this. This is kind of the mindset I know I would have. Lord, I'm in the desert. It's hot. It's dry. This ain't comfortable. Why in the world do you have me here? And we can relate to that in our own world, can we not? Lord, I'm in this job. It doesn't feel like it's doing anything for me. It's a dead end. Man, it's a desert place, Lord. There's no spiritual effect here. Why on earth do you have me in this desert place? See, it goes back to what Paul is talking about in Colossians. His prayer is that they would know what the will of God is in their life. And in that example of Philip, we see Philip sitting here, and I don't know if he was complaining or not. I imagine in my head Philip is not a complainer. He's a doer. It's like, Lord, I'm here. I can't wait. And he's jumping and he's like, man, I don't see anybody, but man, Lord, I know you're going to do something mighty. I'm waiting for you. Let's see it, Lord. Why, why do you, I don't know why, but I'm here. I'm ready. What do you want me to do? And we don't know the duration that Paul or that Phillips was sitting in the desert. Could have been two minutes. Could have been two hours. It could have been ten hours. It doesn't actually tell us how long he was in the desert place before the Ethiopian eunuch comes riding on a chariot. And I love this because the Lord, angel of the Lord tells Philip, hey, see that chariot? Go run after it. <laughs> now, now, take a minute and just grasp the reality of this. The chariot is drawn by horse. Horses move a lot faster than humans. Here the Lord is telling Philip, hey, Philip, I know you're in this dry desert place. Now go do something impossible. Philip could have sit there and said, Lord, do you realize that's a horse-drawn chariot? There's no way I can catch up to it. What are you talking about? This is impossible, Lord. There's not a chance in the world I'm going to be able to catch up to this guy. There's no way I'm going to be able to accomplish what you have for me, Lord. What are you, what are you talking about? Go chase this chariot? A complainer like myself might respond to the Lord that way. I love the example of Philip. He goes, all right, cool. And here he is running right next to this chariot like, like it's the norm. He's right next to this guy. And, of course, we know the rest of the story. He's reading a passage in Isaiah Philip was in the right place at the right time to fulfill the will of the Lord and share with this man the gospel, who Christ is. And we see the the story unfold. Philip has the opportunity to baptize this Ethiopian eunuch, and then he's transported miraculously, instantly, to another city. It's an amazing, if you ever want to, if you're into, like, I'm going to be careful in how I say this, but like teleportation is in the scripture, right? I'm just teasing. It's, it, but there is a part there where you read in Acts 18 and you, or Acts 8 there where you see Philip. It was with the Ethiopian eunuch. He baptized him. He comes out of the water and instantly he's in another city. He gets to see the miracle of God. And I'd say the miracle is not the fact that he was transported, but he got to see a man's life change. The Ethiopian eunuch's life change to come to know the Lord. That's the miracle in the passage. And Philip was obedient at the rooftop, and he was obedient in the desert place, and he was obedient when the mission was to do something impossible. As we look at what Paul is asking for the church in Colossians here, he says that he desires his his request. He's asking the Lord that they would know the knowledge of his will. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ, no matter how new you are or how old you are, God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for your life. He has you specifically in mind to do something. 
And it might be in a desert place and it might be doing something impossible. But he's asked that you be the one to be the person that he is qualified to go do that. That's that word, we're going to read this in a little bit, is not just a pastoral term. It's a term for disciples and believers of God. They have been qualified to go share the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul is asking in his prayer of these believers of this church that they would know and have knowledge, the full knowledge of his will. And that, not, that will, that understanding of God's will is not rooted in the wisdom of men, but is rooted in spiritual wisdom. You see, there's a difference between the wisdom of men or earthly wisdom and spiritual wisdom. It's completely different. Earthly wisdom would have heard the, the call from the angel and Philip when he's on his rooftop and saying, hey, go to that desert place. And earthly wisdom would have said, hey, there's nobody there. Why are you going? There's no purpose for you to go there, Philip. Man, there's nothing there. It's just dry desert land. It's a wilderness. There's nothing around. God's not going to use you there. Just stay put where you're at. That's earthly wisdom. But spiritual wisdom understands, hey, God has a purpose for me. God has a plan for my life. He might take me to a place where there's nobody around, but I'm going to go there because the Lord told me to go there. And of course, we see in that example that that one person, the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, we don't know what happened afterwards, the effect of the Ethiopian eunuch, the influence that he had in Ethiopia. But we know this, that that one man mattered enough to God that he sent somebody to help him understand the gospel. And as we continue in Colossians, we see this laid out for us. The spiritual wisdom and having the spiritual understanding. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully, fully pleasing to him. Man, if you go back to that illustration of being in the gym, sometimes we go to the gym for many different reasons. It's to lose weight, it's to work on a particular muscle, it might be to increase your cardio ability if you're going to run a race. We have lots of different reasons why we go. I remember I was part of a high-intensity training gym, and they, every time we would be a class, there was maybe 10 or 15 of us, they would have our goals that we had wrote when we signed up. You know, what's your goal? What do you want to accomplish? And as people accomplish those goals, the whole class would get excited and cheer them on. Like, hey, way to go. And that's exciting, right? Like, that's just simple earthly things. We get excited when we see people accomplish what they've been asked to do or what they've been set to do, their goals. Here we see it on a much, much more grander scale. I want you to think about this. When we know the will of God in our life and we execute it and we do it, we walk in a manner that is worthy. It is fully pleasing to God. That's like God saying, hey, I know I sent you to a desert place and you may not have understood why I sent you there. But thanks for being there. I'm proud of you. Way to accomplish that task. Listen, I may have set you up to do some things that were impossible and you thought, man, there's no chance on earth. Earthly wisdom would tell me there's no way on earth I could do this. Run next to a chariot? Are you crazy? It's impossible, Lord. But when we obey and we listen and we walk in a manner that is worthy, we see the Lord pumped up for us fully pleasing the lord i love that phrase that's in there see the effect of this is this when we start listening to the instruction of god in our life when we start paying attention to what his word has to say and we are praying and asking the lord to reveal to us his truth his wisdom it pleases our father it pleases him he's the biggest cheerleader for you and for me especially when it comes to accomplishing the mission he set us on to do 
we see this, I love this phrase in this passage where he says it is fully pleasing. As we walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, it fully pleases the Lord, the Father. And then as we please the Father, we start to see Paul explain to us some things that happen. We start to bear fruit. When we do what we're supposed to do, we're walking in prayer, we're listening to what the Father has to say, we're listening to his instruction, we know what the will of the Lord is for our life, we say, okay, Lord, this is the will, this is what I'm doing, I've been praying, I've been seeking your will, I've been asking you to show me, and we go do it, it pleases him, and when we do what the Lord asks us to do and it pleases him, we start to see the fruit that comes forth in doing that. The next passage there, as we're looking in verse 10, it says, bearing fruit in every good work. The effect of listening and being obedient to the word of God is that we start to bear fruit. And we increase, and I love this part, we increase in the knowledge of God. Go back to that illustration of Philip. Philip never left his house. Philip just stayed there and said, Lord, that desert place that you're telling me to go to, Makes no sense to me. My wisdom, my earthly wisdom, it doesn't make any sense for me to go there. I'm just going to chill here. I'm going to just, Lord, use me here. Not there, use me here. Philip would have never gotten to see the incredible working of God and how he cares for one person. This is a desert place. Nobody's there. Philip didn't respond on the rooftop and come to the desert place. And maybe he was in the desert place and he's overwhelmed by the fact that there's nobody around. It's hot. There's dry. Maybe he's thirsty. And then the Lord tells him to go run. He's like, Lord, don't you know I've been sitting here? I'm hot. I'm dry. I'm probably dehydrated. You want me to go run now? And if he had never responded and listened to what the Lord asked him to do in chasing the chariot, the impossible task, he would have never gotten to see the amazing work and grace of God in the life of this Ethiopian eunuch. Where he gets to be part of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with this man. It's an incredible thing. See, this passage tells us that it bears fruit. We see the fruit being born in the Ethiopian man's life. We also see in Philip's life the fact that he is growing an increase in the knowledge of God. Sometimes God does some crazy things, doesn't he? Sometimes he asks us to do things that don't fit the normal box, if you will. I can remember working third shift at BMW down in South Carolina. I was in a desert place. I was struggling spiritually in a lot of ways because I didn't know why the Lord had put me there. I thought the Lord was going to use me in a glamorous way. I was going to move down south and I was going to take over a church. And this is what God's going to use me. But somehow I ended up working at third shift at a BMW. And if you've ever worked in the shop, you know how mundane and how monotonous that job can be. And I can remember as I was eating my lunch one evening, I was reading a book. It's called A Letter to the Churches by Francis Chan. And I'm sitting there reading and I'm angry with the Lord and I'm just frustrated. I'm like, Lord, why did you bring me here? This makes no sense to me. What's the point of me being here? So angry with him. And then I remember a conversation me and God had Lorraine Correctional Facility. I said, Lord, I'll go anywhere and do anything you want me to do. And as I was sitting there eating my lunch, and I was complaining to the Lord, and I'm like, Lord, I don't know why you've got me here. I have no idea why I'm here. I remember the Lord telling me, I thought you said you would go anywhere and do anything. It's like a ton of bricks on me. It's like a two-by-four across the face. 
I thought you said you would go anywhere and do anything, Carter. Man, I was crushed by my desert place, not knowing why the Lord had brought me there. And I was complaining and griping and throwing my hands up and just really angry at the Lord. And he's like, you said you would go anywhere and do anything. Isn't this a place? Isn't this somewhere that I've called you? And I humbled and I apologized and I asked the Lord, okay, Lord, you've got me here. You've got me here. Man, help me to see what it is that I'm supposed to do. Help me to understand what it is that I'm supposed to be doing in this place. Because it makes no sense to me. I didn't get to see my family much. I had lost 30 pounds. I know. I wish I could have that back. I lost 30 pounds. I was in a place in my mind where I was struggling spiritually. Didn't understand. I was angry at the Lord. And I said, Lord, okay, you've got me here for a reason. I just want to know what your will is for my life. Why am I here? Help me see. Help me see what I can't see. And as I wrapped up my lunch and I went back to the line, I kid you not, it was the very same night after I repented and asked the Lord to be a part of showing me what it is and why I was there. A man came up to me and he started talking. I hadn't talked to him before. And he was training me on a new job. So he was kind of letting me do the work and he was sitting there talking to me. And he started telling me a lot about what was going on in his life and he was going through a divorce and he was really struggling with depression he's like, man, I just can't wait till I get a divorce so I can experience true peace in my life. And like a light bulb, it went off in my head. This is why I'm here. And I, th- I got to have a conversation. I said, listen, you don't have to wait for a divorce to experience the kind of peace you're looking for. That kind of peace only comes in knowing who Jesus Christ is. The kind of peace you're looking for is only found in the person of Jesus. And later over the next several months this man he got a bible he started reading it he'd come to me as we were working on the line and he'd say hey man i've been reading in genesis and i I don't understand it (laughs) and i said well why don't we start in matthew and we'll learn about jesus first (laughs) come to me and he'd say hey how do i know i'm going to a good church and i'd tell him hey make sure they're in the word Make sure this is their roadmap. Make sure this is what's keeping them going. And it's not about man's ways. It's about God's ways. And he'd come to me. He's like, man, I think I found a church that fits that description. I'm starting to go. I'm going to go this Sunday. And I've been keeping up with him. And he's been in the word with the Lord. It's just an incredible opportunity. I would have never gotten to see God work. In the same way that Philip went to a desert place, the Lord took me to a desert place. And he, he allowed me to be a part of bringing this man back to who he is and who the gospel is and who Jesus Christ is. And the reality is, is each and every one of us, this is not just a pastor thing, each and every one of us that call ourselves disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, the Lord has put us and has a purpose for us and he's taken us and he's putting us in different jobs and different communities and different families so that we can be and do the will of God in those different areas. We continue in this text. Paul speaks in verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, here it is, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. See, that's not just a term given to pastors. He's qualified you. Paul is writing this to every believer. Every believer has been qualified to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Has it changed you? Have you seen it bear fruit in your life? Has it changed your world? 
Have you seen the increase in the understanding of the love of God in your life? He's saying, hey, listen, you've been qualified to share that with other people. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. You don't have to be a deacon. If you know me and you know what I've done in your life, you can share that. As he continues in this text, verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. Do you know and understand the gospel? Have you received the gospel? And if you have, you've been qualified to fulfill what God's called you, his purpose in your life. First, we have to be a church that's praying. Praying for each other, praying for one another, and asking, Lord, what's your will in our life? How do you want to use us as a congregation? How do you want to use us in this community? Lord, I know you have a purpose and a plan. What is it? Please show me. Help me not to walk in the way of wisdom of men, but in your spiritual wisdom. Show me what you have for me. It might seem like we're going to a place where it's desert. It might seem like we're doing something impossible. Lord, if you're with it and you're behind it, we know we can accomplish it. Paul then goes into speaking of the preeminence of Christ in verses 15 through 23, making Christ the center point. And if you'll jump down with me to verse 23, he's giving them this instruction. Actually, go to verse 22. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, that's us, the church, individuals, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This directly ties into the manner in which we are to be walking, a manner that is worthy, that is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 23, he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, this is faith, this is his desire for the church, for new believers. He wants you to be continuing in the faith. He wants faith, he wants you to be stable, he wants you to be steadfast, faithful, not shifting, not being swayed by convenient or false teachings. He wants you to be consistent, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. And Paul goes in and speaks about his own ministry and how he's been called to the Gentiles. And I love this as he continues. He talks about the reason why he does what he does. He does it for the sake of the body that is the church. You see that in verse 24. And then in verse 25, it is to make the word of God fully known. That you understand the purpose and will of God in your life. And it starts by knowing what the word of God says. Fully understanding the word of God. And then he starts to walk through and teach us this thing. Verse 28. I'll read verse 27. I'm sorry. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his ministry, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then in verse 28, we see him lay the foundations for reach, gather, and grow. He says in verse 28, him we proclaim. That's reach. That's going into all the world and making disciples. Him we proclaim. This is who we proclaim. This is the gospel. doesn't matter what work environment you're in. It doesn't matter where your job is, what community you're in, what family you're in. That's what we do. We proclaim him. We reach the lost. And then he has it in a slightly different order, but he says, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. That's grow. Knowing what is true, what we ought to be warned of, what we ought not to do versus what we ought to do. Right? This is the gospel. This is what the instruction of God's word is for us. It's a warning book. It tells us, hey, don't walk in that way. It also teaches us how we are to behave 
in what manner we are to walk. We see that as grow. And then he says this, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I see that as gathering. See, the goal is not that you come and just know the Lord, but that you walk in sanctification, that you grow in maturity as a believer. And it requires believers that have been uh, in the faith for a long time and new ones as well. And it's a combining and a unification of these two where the, the old and the, maybe the wise, if you put it in the scene of the gym, the guy that actually knows how to equi- use the equipment comes up to you and says, hey man, I see you're new here. Can I help you? Can I pray with you? Can I show you how this equipment works? This is the scripture we're talking about. Can I show you how it works in your life, how it can change you for the better? Man, let's get coffee sometime. Let's hang out. I just want you to know, maybe, maybe that's too much for you. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. That as you read God's word, you'll understand it. You'll know what it means in your life. You'll know how to apply it. We see in verse 28 in chapter 1 there, the foundation for the Great Commission. But then I love how Paul says this in verse 29, and I'll wrap up with this. For this I toil, he says. This is what I go to the gym for. This is what I work for. This is what I am exercising. This is what I struggle for. I toil. This is my, my, my work, if you will. Struggling with all his energy, that, and I would encourage you to circle this, highlight this, and underline this. That he, that is God, powerfully works within me if you're a believer no matter what age you are or however long you've been a part of the faith do you have that desire do you desire that God powerfully works within you is he is he allowed to come into your world and powerfully move and change your behavior your attitude your mentality your heart Do you allow him to actually mold and shape you and teach you according to his word? I love that here is Paul, a man who has written much of the New Testament. And his desire as he's talking to these new believers, to these believers that have been a part of the church for a while. And he says, man, my desire, what I struggle for, what I desire, my exercise routine, if you will, is that God will work in me in a powerful way. He's not necessarily looking out, but he's looking internal. And Paul lays us for us the foundation, hey, do we have the desire to know the will of God? Are we looking for his spiritual wisdom in our life? Are we looking to see the will of God and where he's going to place us? Not just in the big picture questions, but in the every single day questions. Today, Lord, what do you have for me? Today, Lord, where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to talk to? It might not fit your schedule. It might not fit the normal process of human wisdom. But if God is talking to you and you are praying and you are seeking his will, he'll lay it out for you. So the question, as we conclude, is do you want spiritual wisdom? You want the kind of wisdom that helps us better know and understand what pleases God? You want to know the kind of wisdom, the kind of knowledge and understanding that helps us bear more fruit and helps us draw closer to God? That's what this study is about. That's what we're going to be walking through in the book of Colossians. We're going to listen to the word of Paul as he has laid for us the foundations for what it means to go and reach the lost, to gather together as believers and to grow as Christians in his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this passage in Colossians, Lord. The words of Paul, 
who you moved and instructed long ago to teach us important, valuable, practical lessons as believers and where we go and how we move forward and how we take our next steps as believers. And that it's rooted in your word, it's rooted in prayer, and it's rooted in listening to you and your will. Lord, I pray as we walk through this book that each believer, me included, Lord, will be open to being molded, that you would powerfully work in each and every one of us in a way that it will change us forever. We'll get to see and draw closer to you and see your awesome will and way in ways that we couldn't even imagine. I ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.